The Sacred Changemakers podcast is supported by Coaches Business School, helping the world's most caring coaches build a purpose-driven and profitable business that makes a meaningful impact in our world. Check out their unique frameworks and methods to help you transform and grow your business. Now is the time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs. You can do well in business and do good, and together we can make a meaningful difference. Find out more at coachesbusinessschool.com. Hey there, and welcome back to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. Our guest on the podcast today is Marusha Murphy, MA, an award-winning community experience designer, strategist, and entrepreneur. She transforms communities in person and online to become movements that actually shape the industry. Her work in the travel, business, personal development, parenting, and coaching industries has shifted how communities can be designed from the inside out. Now, Marusha is a catalyst for change who leads both national and international initiatives with a deep understanding of human behavior. And she's consulted for many thought leaders on how to design these hybrid and face-to-face communities. She's been featured in Forbes, Reader's Digest, Fox News, The Huffington Post, NBC, and the Austin American Statesman for her work in creating profitable enterprises that also do good in the world. Marusha believes in empowering all individuals to live their fullest lives, and her work has been instrumental in bringing people together to create real and sustainable positive change. She is doing truly groundbreaking work, helping to bring humanity back to virtual and hybrid community design, and has even been brought into Facebook in the United Nations because of her work in growing, monetizing, and expanding impact-driven brands over the last 22 years. Now, Marusha believes in empowering all individuals, and no one can dispute that her work has been instrumental in bringing people together to create positive change. But I think you're gonna find both her presence and her focus on community building as quite unique. And also, I would say desperately needed in our chaotic modern world. At the beginning of our conversation today, she describes herself as a lover who plays with identities in her own life to spark adventures. And as I say, and as you're gonna hear, she holds a unique perspective that I believe will inspire you in many ways from life to business and maybe even beyond. There was such resonance between us that I would say this is one of my favorite conversations because it aligns so much with what we do here and what we talk about as Sacred Changemakers. And it is definitely soul deep transformation that she brings to the world. So let's not waste any more time and let me introduce you to Marusha Murphy. Hey, Marusha, welcome to the Sacred Changemakers podcast, my friend. Oh, Jane, it is so good to be here with you. Oh, I'm I'm really excited about our conversation. I truly am. I just get this sense that you and I have this kind of resonance between us. So I'm really looking forward to see what emerges today in our in our conversation. Mm. But before we get there, 
I would love to kind of ask you to kind of describe yourself in your own words, because our listeners, they've just heard your professional bio, right? (laughs) And I'd love to kind of take you behind the scenes of that a little bit Mm. and find out something about the real life human that lies beneath that professional bio. I mean, who is she? Wow, that's a lovely question. Um, and I appreciate it because usually that's just a professional bio that most people care yeah. about. Um, I am a mother. I have three beautiful daughters. I am a lover of dance and a lover of, of all the arts. Um, I find myself dabbling constantly and learning something new, um, whether it's uh, an acting technique. I used to, I used to be an actress from age four through 20. Um, uh, or it's seeing art in the eyes of, of somebody that's so different than me, or it's exploring a new world or a new book or so the arts to me are a big part of who I am. Um, I also am a massive nerd about coffee. So if we want to get nerdy about and anything other than community, let's go to coffee. And I will <laughs> I will spout all the things that I get very excited about there. Um, and let's see. Well, uh, a couple random things about me. Um, I have been in uh, this place of everything is an experiment. So, and, and doing things just because. Like, why not? Let's just go try that. So right now, my just because experiences are flamenco dancing. Oh, learning wow. how to flamenco dance. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then in the, in the fall, this last fall, I decided to try my, my legs, if you will, at roller derby, which is a sport on roller skates. <laughs> that's pretty intense <laughs> and oh had God. a blast. I, I made the decision at the end of the day, not to continue because when I realized I could literally go into a meeting with one of my, you know, corporate uh, clients or, or <laughs> with one of my, my smaller community clients with a black eye, broken nose and no teeth. I figured maybe <laughs> I think, I think this, this age and this time of my life, it's that, that that's past, you know? So I've decided to put that on hold until, until further notice, but <laughs> that's wow. the, some, a little bit about, about me and how I like to just create new adventures. Yeah, it really sounds like that. You took me right back to, well, first of all, with the flamenco dancing, you took me back to my childhood Mm. because living in England, we would Mm. often go to Spain on holiday. um, And then I would see these, what I now know to be not particularly adept flamenco dancers, because when Mm. I was, it must have been about a decade ago now, one of my friends invited me to um, the West End in London to see top female flamenco troupe dancing I have never seen anything like that in my life before or after I was in tears through most of it it was the most incredible show that I have ever seen and so emotional as a dance it was phenomenal the way they told this story through dance it was just amazing so there was that right I know. Yeah, so amazing. Yeah. And we don't hear a lot of flamenco dancing over here in the US. So mm-hmm. that was no. so that was like, oh my gosh, you reminded me of that. That 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 mm-hmm. ability the dance has to move us, right? Which I just yes. think is amazing. And then the roller yes. derby. <laughs> oh my God. You took <laughs> me back to my teenage years. 
and the roller disco. <laughs> I only tried roller derby yes. once and it was so rough. I just was like, I can't do this. <laughs> so hats off to you, Marisha. I mean, I really want to honor yeah. what you're doing. That's incredible and amazing. It really is. You so. know, it, it is. It's a belief system. It's a belief system of mm. mine that we get to choose our own identities. And mm. over this, over the past couple of years, especially since the pandemic, I, I made this challenge. I did this like internal challenge to myself. What would it look like to create new identities that I've just never given myself permission to create? And, and, and henceforth going into things like roller derby or even flamenco. I'm five, three flamenco dancers for the most part are way taller than I am. Um, and I'm very curvy. So most flamenco dancers are not curvy. But I wanted to do this, this experiment of like, what if I could create and invite myself into an identity that maybe I would have limited myself to try. And so, um, and it started with the identity of an athlete. What would it look like to be an athlete? Can I, I've never allowed myself that because I've, I've been in the arts mostly. And so I allowed myself to start training as an athlete and start imagining myself as training for life versus just training to get a good workout or lose some weight. And, and everything started to shift Jane, you know, like the, the world started to open up to me in a new way. And, and I started to see myself in ways that I've never given myself permission to see because of old belief systems, old stories of how to do whatever, or that I'm, I'm a woman or I'm a girl. Girls don't do fill in the blank. Um, and so this has been this last three, I would say the last three years has been me shifting identity and the flamenco and the roller derby are just been, have been the last, the last two iterations of what that look is looking like to see how does that feel? How does, yeah. how do we, how can we embody more of that into our lives and, yeah. and me taking the lead on that, you know, in oh my, my gosh, ways. I love that. I love that so much because one of the things we talk about here at Sacred Changemakers is this idea of identity. And, you know, mm. what does it mean to be a sacred changemaker? Like what, and yes. I work with a lot of coaches, consultants, speakers, authors. What does it mean to hold that in our identity? But yeah. what I'm hearing you talk about is this, this kind of dynamic flexibility when you think mm, about mm, your identity and trying mm, on other identities just just to see mm, to get curious about it just to see and yes what I love because the title of our conversation today is what what does it take to create a revolution right <laughs> now here's something very personal I want to say based on what you've just said I yeah. never think of myself as a revolutionary mm. I don't think of myself at an identity level as even an activist. Mm. That's not something that I've ever really considered. And mm -hmm. yet, sacred change maker feels like something I can just easily flow into. Yes. So it's really interesting yes. what you're saying here, because now I'm thinking maybe yes. I should try these on <laughs> and see what yes. happens. Maybe I should. Well, you know so does yeah. it take a and, revolutionary you know, I'm, I'm, I... to start a revolution? <laughs> I love it. Oh, I was so happy we went here. I think it's so interconnected, you know, it yeah. is, it is so interconnected. So, so, you know, you're thinking about sacred change maker. I love that term. I think that was one of the things when I heard you say it for the first time when we met 
earlier, you know, a few months, quite a few months ago at this point, um, you said it and I leaned in and I was like, oh, that, that has some, has some reverence to it. Mm-hmm. And, and at the same time, I would imagine that those of us who are hearing it for the first time, we haven't ever had the opportunity because we've never heard of that, that, mm-hmm. that coined identity to be, be a potential identity for us. But the minute we hear it, we either resonate or we don't. Right. And so it becomes it a lot. We are, we can choose to be invited into that identity of becoming a sacred change maker. And I believe the courage that it takes to become a new identity is, is all in between uh, you know, the, the, the choice that we make to imagine that identity is a part of us. And then the actions it takes to embody that identity. It's all based on courage and an action. I see it as that. And similarly, the going into this idea of revolutionary, I mean, we very intentionally, and I, I'd love to share if it's okay with you at yeah, some point please. today, to share the story behind revolutionary oh, communities do. and revolutionary. Yeah. Okay. Because, because it is such a loaded word, right? There's yes. so, yes. I mean, you're, you grew up in England. I grew up in the Philippines during the, the people power revolution, the civil right. war there in the Philippines. I, um, and, and the idea of revolutionary communities was one that didn't, it's not that I've had, I've been in business for, I've been creating communities for 20, almost 23 years at this point. Um, but I only recently branded our company as revolution, like we literally took this as a, a piece of the, a larger company that I've been building for the last uh, 14 years and made it its own company. And the reason for that is because, because of what I'm about to share about revolutionaries, right? I believe that every single one of us has within us something that is so compelling, so um, it, cha- it if we were giving ourselves the courage enough to actually open our voices, open our minds to bring that level of transformation into the world in which we are meant to serve, into the people's lives who, in, in which we're meant to create transformation, we would probably recognize that we have such grit and gumption and and goodness that wants to just come from us that we are going to create something that's beyond any what anyone anyone anything that anyone else has ever created and so that to me is what a revolutionary is that's the person that is willing to be brave enough to be courageous enough to go into the adventure of actually changing lives with the way in which you were designed um, one of my, one of my former colleagues, I was in a conversation with her earlier today and she was like, remember Marusha? Cause I was sharing with her something that I was, I was just having a struggle with. Right. And, and she was, remember Marusha, you always say to us, we, as we each in our own communities that we serve are looking not necessarily at other humans and just blank slates. We're looking at the, the image of God. We're looking at images of God and the order of the divine or, or the, you know, the, the creation in which all of us are created for miracles. And, and to me, that reminder, that reflection back is like, oh my gosh, you're so right. And she goes, so you in this little silly fear that you have needs to remember that you were also created in the image of God, just like the people in which you're serving. And I was like, thank you for that reminder. It's when we're allowing ourselves to really hold that truth, that, 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 that belief 
that we are bringing something to this world that is beyond ourselves, but because of the divine, because of what else is possible, because of the energies that, that flow into us and through us that we get to create, then of course we're revolutionary. Yeah, of course. Right. There are though, and this is what I love about it is that there is also that connotation of reclaiming Mm -hmm. that connotation of, of taking something that was once in, in a, in one particular state that wasn't working and shifting it and transforming it into something that is. And, and for me, that that awakening happened this summer. I was at an event, uh, one of my first live events since the pandemic. And I was sitting there and we were being invited into inviting in the seven generations that came before us into the room as we were about to be in this space together. And in that moment, I suddenly am remembering, I'll never forget this, Jane. I, I had, the, it was it was the wildest thing. I had in this moment, the image of my great-great-grandmother. She was one of the first women ever in the country of Spain to go to college, to go to university, in the University of Salamanca, ever. Then I had this whoosh of a, my great-great-grandfather, my grandmother on my mother's side, her grandfather, um, who was an escaped slave from Jamaica, left Jamaica to become an educator in Puerto Rico. Then I had another whoosh of my grandmother, uh, my father's mom, uh, in Spain, uh, in the Basque region of Spain, escaping Franco's reign um, during World War II and and, and to protect their culture uh, as as the the Basque people and and having their house burnt down to the ground and yet still standing strong and moving forward and and training and educating others in in the culture of the Basque people. And then I had another whoosh, my mom and dad, uh, when I was five years old in the Philippines, um, holding space in the people in the people's revolution against the dictator um, Ferdinand Marcos at the time, and looking down at me in my five year old face and saying, "Marusha, remember this moment. We are changing history." And I'm having this moment, you know, Jane. And I, all of a sudden, it's almost like all of my ancestors came to me in that moment and said, "Marusha, you were born of revolutionaries." you are revolutionary. At that moment, I hear him, I hear um, my friend Alok say, now when I want to invite the seven generations that are to come after you into the room, (laughs) you know, and I I think to myself, like, okay, I have three daughters. I've thought about them, of course, my grandchildren. Okay. Then maybe my great grandchildren, but I have not for the life of me, even imagined what seven generations of impact could even wow. imagine to look like. Right. Yeah. And it was in that, in that moment, I was number one humbled because I couldn't even imagine. I never realized that what I'm saying today is actually going to be a piece of their history yeah. of who they are to be. And it was in that moment that I heard my ancestors and them saying, this is your calling you're creating revolutionary communities, you're changing and shifting the culture to bring humanity back to the human race in a world that is divided um, by race, by politics, by so many things that are wanting to divide us for for greed and for fear, because of fear and for power. And what would it look like 
if in this world of both digital and human connection, we can actually create a model that surpasses all of that and bring that to the conversation. That's a revolutionary community. And in that, I started to, <laughs> I started to realize, well, shoot, I've already been doing that. Like I've done this 200 <laughs> times, I've built these many companies. I've, right. I've helped design this for profitability and to bring human connection back to one another. Mm-hmm. Let's just keep going. It's time to keep going. So that, that's really what a revolutionary does, right? Is we right. allow ourselves that same process in our own body of work. What does that look like to bring forth full, the fullness of what we know in our journey is our work to bring forward and create major transformation, create major change. And then really calling that in, inviting that courage and the action to speak it forth into reality. Yeah. You know, I've got goosebumps as you're talking. And I just want to thank you for reframing revolutionary for me, because I had never really thought about it in in the way that you're describing. We're so aligned mm. <laughs> the work that we're doing here. And, you know, yes. and it's lovely. I've never thought of, say, a revolutionary as 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 awakening, as having a calling, mm. as having that kind of, well, almost like a soul's calling into a, a depth of work. I was kind of stuck in a stereotype, I guess, from my childhood of thinking of revolutionary as being someone who's angry about something and going to go out there aggressively Mm -hmm. and, you know, take placards Mm -hmm. and march through the streets and, you know, just kind of make a nuisance of themselves. And of course, I'm a good girl Mm -hmm. from England and we don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that interesting? So, yeah. So as you were talking, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, oh, and you were reframing it beautifully for me. So, Marisha, thank Mm. you for that, because it's I feel like there's a door opening here for me into this like curiosity of, wow, then if I try that on, what does it mean? But I want to walk you back a little bit um, Mm. and 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 get you to just tell us something about what you feel about the times we're living in now and why you think this time is a good time for a revolution. Why do we need a revolution? Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. I could I could answer that in so many ways. You know, I think the the big the biggest the right now in the world that we're living in, there I mentioned it a little bit, right? We're yeah. living in a world that is so afraid, so afraid to lead from love. Right. Because what we see around us is power leading the way is um, often um, judgment, fear, you know, everything that really is made to separate us. We're being led by media, you know, and I'm not here to talk politics. It's actually, I'm very much, I don't love to talk about politics at all. Mm. To me, I do love to talk about the things that are um, healing, the things that are that we in the midst and because of our differences can come together to create a better and a more beautiful connection, more beautiful wholeness. And right now, more probably more than ever, we have seen our the the digital world that we live in really segmenting us in such ways that if we only wanted to believe a certain way, we could make that choice to believe that certain way 
even though everything else around us is saying that there's what are we talking about right now? Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and so from that perspective, it's been fascinating to me. What would it look like if we actually all could put aside our fear and put aside our, our hate and see each other human to human heartbeat to heartbeat in the same room? What would it look like if we could hear each other's voices and really understand, oh, my friend, you know, fill in the blank, my friend Jane, she came from England. Her experience is this. This is why she sees the world this way. Marusha, she came from the Philippines. Her experience was this, and she sees the world in this way. Can we hold space for both and? And when that happens, can we create a better experience and not just an experience in the one-to-one, but imagine now if we, and this is my, I believe what I I'm here right now on this planet to do is to remind us (laughs) that at the end of the day, we all bleed. We all have heartbeats. We all love, we all have curiosities. We all have things to discover. We all get angry. We all hurt. And, and we might hurt and get angry and love in different ways. And why are we fighting <laughs> when we all know that we all have the same, we all come from the same beingness, right? Yeah. So, so I, I've had the privilege of actually creating multiple communities, multiple exp- expansion, expanded experiences um, where people from all walks of life are actually holding hand in hand with one another creating spaces where we can uplift one another in the midst and because of our differences, celebrating our diversity together, celebrating the openness and the curiosity. And right now our world needs, needs that more than ever. I imagine one day the revolutionary is that we as consumers of media, of products, of services demand, the revolutionary is really the demand for which that we hold each other to a better standard. We hold each other to a place where we can invite more love into conversations, more respect, more uh, vulnerability into conversations. And what would that do for all of our, our, our um, humanity in terms of our mental health, in terms of drug use, in terms of violence um, and, and the like, right? How would that all decrease when we are fully in this, in this space where our, our demand is more love, please, more love, please. How do we do that? And, and what, what can be shifted because that's the, that's the case. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You are talking my language, my friend. (laughs) And I know (laughs) our listeners will be getting so many insights from what you're saying, because these are the conversations we often have in our community as well. Mm. And what I'm hearing, well, no, let me, let me rephrase that. What I'm feeling from you, Marusha is something you said right at the very beginning of our conversation today when you described yourself as a lover, right? Mm. As you're speaking, I'm not just hearing the words, I'm actually feeling the love you have, not just for mm. me, but and not just for yourself, but for humanity as a whole, for those seven generations, yeah. for that timeline that you're standing within, which is just yes. exquisite in terms of the awareness yes that you're you're sharing with us today because in a way this is so my hope for the future of our world that we can become more conscious that we can understand and maybe reshape a little what it means to be human 
not just what it means to be right. an American or a British person or, you know, mm-hmm. any other nationality that we might claim, but that mm-hmm. we can shift identities like you're talking about. Because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, why not? We have the capability to do that. Why do we spend so much of our lives mm-hmm. fixed in a, it's a little bit like bending ourselves like a pretzel to be who we think the world mm-hmm. needs us to be. When really yeah. Yeah. what we all need is for each of us to show up human and authentic. Yeah. So let me ask it's you, so what does true. it take to be a revolutionary leader? Because that yeah. sounds like such a, I don't mm. know. You know, when I say that, I yeah. think of I think of some of the greats from over the, the years, but a revolutionary mm-hmm. leader, how do you describe that? Mm-hmm. I love that question. Thank you. To me, they are individuals who have made the choice to be courageous. They're individuals who have such conviction about something that really they truly believe it needs to shift in such a way that if it doesn't, the world is going to fall apart. You know, that level of conviction of like this. I also believe that revolutionary leaders have to have uh, the ability to not take things so personally either that they are, they, they are looking at, uh, at the world in which they're living and being able to hold the, the, those areas of the pain or whatever it is that they oftentimes feel from the thing about the thing that they're serving, but also be able to, uh, what is that saying? Like, uh, uh, like, water off of the duck's back or, you know, just let it roll off. Uh, Let it roll off when things get a little bit hairy, because when you're changing, when you're revolutionizing, when you're transforming, things cannot, things don't always go our way. Right. Right. It's not that all of a sudden I'm a revolutionary leader. And then you suddenly (laughs) have everything going your way. Absolutely. Actually the opposite happens. There are more people who are in dissent of what you're believing because they, who wants to have anything shifted. Right. So it's inviting in that courage to the nth degree. I also believe um, along the lines of not taking yourself, recognizing that it's not always going to go your way. It's giving yourself permission to play, to be an innovator, to, to allow. And when I say play, it's not, you know, play looks like many different forms, but giving yourself that flexibility of mind, flexibility of opportunity, the openness to how it's going to show up and be able to be on your feet to stand in, um, into what's next. Right. And so because life has a way of throwing curveballs and, and inviting in, a you know, other, other things that we haven't expected or, or wanted to have in our lives in this moment, how do we hold, hold steady to the convictions we have and yet also allow for flexibility? When you think about the revolutionaries, you know, I think about in my, in my world, the, the people power revolution, um, in the Philippines was a perfect example of that. Right. And basically for, you know, without having to go into a whole history lesson, there was a dictator in the Philippines, uh, Ferdinand Marcos, he was the president, um, and he stayed on, he, um, he basically stayed on as president way beyond the, the length of his term. Um, and finally in 1980, in 1984, I was just four years old. So forgive me if the dates are a little <laughs> off here. I believe it was 1984. The people started to rise up 
and new leadership said, Hey, this is not okay. You know, we are not, we are not in the state of emergency, which was why everything was kind of called off and the, and the military was, was uh, under his rule. Um, We're not there anymore. We need, we need to take a different stand. So millions of Filipinos started to rise, but that, that person um, ended up, Nino Aquino ended up being killed as soon as he got off the, the runway, right? He was a revolutionary. He was the one who was choosing to be a voice. His wife ended up uh, leading the, the country of the Philippines later, as well as the first president, first female president of the Philippines. But point being, um, things aren't always going to go our way. And hopefully we don't get killed. And <laughs> we, in <laughs> that's not the point of the story. The point <laughs> being is, <laughs> is to be in that space of courage in such that you are speaking your truth. You're speaking from that place where transformation massive, massive transformation can take place in a short amount of time. And, um, and you're going to have those people that are going to want to push back and that's okay. Because in that you also will get those people who are wanting to embrace that core message um, and want to be a part of making that a reality. Um, I'll I'll give another example real quick of, of a revolutionary community we designed um, in 2014. 2013-2014 that um, to this day has really shifted the city of Austin, Texas. Um, we, myself, I was a young mom in, uh, of one and a half ch- or two, actually two and a half children. I was pregnant with my third at that time. And I met another mom, Sarah, and another woman named Lynn at a, at a park. And the three of us um, started having a conversation. And in that conversation, Lynn, it was actually Sarah and I having a conversation. Lynn came up to us and goes, hi, to look really, really nice. And in her hands, by the way, was her two week old baby and her two year old baby. And she just needed to get out of the house. And she had just moved to Texas, to Austin, Texas. And she goes, you guys look really nice. Can I hang out with you? Ah, <sighs> Jane, I was flooded back to when I had moved with my five month old just two and a half years prior to that, to uh, to Houston, Texas, initially, and um, and remembering how lonely and isolating it felt, and how courageous Lynn was to open her mouth and say, "Hi, Kipu, can we be friends? Can we hang out today?" And what that took to to be that vulnerable. And from that moment, Sarah, Lynn, and I held each other, and we said, "Let's create a moms group." I have a feeling that more moms like this need each other. And it takes a village to raise a mom, don't you think? Right. Well, the long and the short of it is that now eight years later, um, we have a community that is 25,000 women large. It is because it takes a village to raise a mom that provides resources and partnerships with nonprofits and grocery stores. And the city of Austin calls us the number one family, uh, number one resources for new families moving to the city of Austin. It's shifted the way in which families hold space for each other. There's no mama drama. We are very good about taking that out as soon as we start to see it. It's completely voluntarily, voluntarily led. And from a business perspective, you know, we all grew our companies. I grew a coffee company because the women in the community wanted to support that and take that and run. We've actually measured, we've grown over 32 other um, sister communities just in the first three years of uh, growing that within the city of Austin that are now transforming so many relationships, lives, et cetera. And so many business have co- businesses have come from 
that community to serve that community as well. So we're shifting so much. And in my eyes, that's revolutionary moms groups that don't have drama. How do we do such things (laughs) and that are there to really lift each other up? It's really powerful. And the amount of partnerships that are showing up because of that and businesses that are generating a nice living wage and revenue for the families and small businesses that have come from it. It's been, it's been, it's been pretty incredible. So it's just one idea. And obviously that's not necessarily for like a coach or somebody who's a change maker in the coaching form. I have many of those stories as well, but that's an, a, a way in which you can imagine revolutionary can a revolutionary, a revolution can be created from a simple idea and conviction. It's yeah. amazing. And you know, as you, as you were saying that, I was like, oh yeah, that sounds great. And then when you said 25,000 members, <laughs> I was like, this sounds like some kind of unicorn. Like how on earth did you go from three women, like stumbling mm. across each other in a, in a park to 25,000 members? I mean, are there any insights yeah. you can share with our audience? Because Absolutely. that's an incredible story. <laughs> Well, yes, I would be glad to share. So some of the some of the core pieces, when you're designing a revolutionary community, you want to really begin to think about what I call your three, your, your three V's, your vision, your values, and your voice. That is always should always be your 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 foundation for any community. Most of us will say, Oh, I have a vision for a community. Uh, let's create a Facebook group. Um, let's hit create group, let's put a title to it, and let's just start inviting friends. And the next thing you know, we're all looking at each other like, Hey, what's up? How are you? (laughs) We have no idea why we're here, but we're here. Right. So that's how most people create community online. And what I'd like to do is to slow down to go fast, Mm. slow down first. And, and what, what Sarah Lynn and I did at that point was we really focused on, well, what is this vision? We, we knew because of our vision, we would be the number one resource for, for the Austin area. We had no idea how it was going to show up, but we knew that that was our intention, right? We knew that that was the vision for which we wanted to create this. We also knew we, we created a voice, you know, it takes a village to raise a mom. So this community is going to be all about what does it look like to be a village for a mom who may not have any family here in town? What are the resources that need to be in place? Who are the partnerships that we want to create opportunities with? How do we imagine being that this is, you know, in that case, a geographical area, we have North, South, East, West, Austin. Um, how, how can we serve all those areas when we live in these parts of town, right? So we really had to think through a lot of the infrastructure pieces based on our vision, our values, and our voice. Um, and then from there, start to build very intentionally. So the group of three of us, you know, we then invited women, uh, other moms in the community we also had very specific rules. You know, it had to be a mom in Austin, for example, no fathers, no joint accounts, no like Cindy and Joe, you know, Smith. Mm-hmm. No, it had to be Cindy Smith's account just because we wanted to protect this this and create safety for the moms to be themselves. We didn't want Joe in the community, for example. Um, and so we really set those, those intentional intentions in place. And then we create, we slowly started to create conversations and and let the people who are being invited in know these are what we value. Do you, if you agree, join us, right? So we started to do that slowly, nurture each and every relationship that came in and very intentionally invited them to opportunities to connect, play dates, mom's night outs, 
um, hey, we have a, a new mom who has who's who just had a baby. Can we create a meal train? Who's in her area? It was all about creating the core intention of creating connection because it takes a village to raise a mom. So as we began to build that, right, it just the groundswell started to happen. The moms felt for the first time this was a mom's group that actually cared about this uh, about each other. It wasn't about whether you go organic with all your food versus non-organic or breastfeed versus bottle feed or you know diapers versus cloth that you know disposable diapers versus cloth diapers. That stuff didn't matter. It was here. We were here in this journey to hold space for each other. And so as they continue to feel that, man, the, the group just continued to grow and the engagement, right? The engagement was a big piece of this, making sure that we as the founders also knew each of like what our roles were, right? For me, I was the connector. I love connecting people. Sarah was the the operations. So she had, okay, every Monday we have this type of a post every Tuesday. Yeah, she was that person. And Lynn Really, we just let her like chill because she had a two week old baby. <laughs> she needed to take care of the baby. <laughs> and so, and really, we really were like, just you are the inspiration for this group and you just do you. And, and she would come to all the events and whatnot. So, but yeah, really. And then all of us just started to, we created the culture within the community of responding and supporting and loving each other in such a way that, um, that it just, we couldn't help but have it be that way. Obviously, as time has gone on, uh, because of the success of that group, we have had volunteers admin for the group, but to become an admin is a thing, right? And so one of the, one of the things I want you to, to be aware of, or for those who are, who are spending time with us today is, is everything is intentional, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like, oh, we just need to think through the admins. It's okay. If we want admins that are really have ownership of this experience, what is the training experience that they have beforehand? How do they get chosen to be an admin? How do you know? So there's this there's this opportunity in which people are now feeling or are being a part of an actual experience where they are having ownership of the experience versus just who wants to help? Maybe I guess you know maybe right, you know right. and so it's it's really been um, a very uh, intentional effort, if you will, um, through the entire lifetime of that community. And, and as it is for other communities we've created, we really want to think, again, slow down to grow fast, think intentionally about these pieces ahead of time so that, and when that, um, those opportunities show up to, for the expansion or for creating certain types of communication, it's already been thought through and planned out and are able to be executed with love and care and respect. Um, for the people that we're serving. Mm. I'm hearing you talk about how the foundations are really important, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we've we've got Meetup these days and I know Meetup because whenever I move somewhere new, it's one of the first places I go and have a look. But a lot of yes. those communities, they're just kind of, they feel like they're thrown together and yeah. very few people sometimes show up to some of the groups I've like gone to and it's like yeah. the intention and well your three v's are missing <laughs> i guess yes. but i love like what are the mistakes do you see people making when they're you know in i would say intentionally trying to to build a community of sorts but perhaps yeah. are not quite as sure what they're doing or, or how to do it well mm -hmm. so that it will engage yeah. people what mistakes do you see marisha yeah, I see. I, I think the biggest mistake I see is oftentimes people 
because they've been in experiences where they feel so held and, and hopefully every single one of us that's here today and, and that are in this conversation have had that moment of feeling like that sense of belonging, mm-hmm. right? But the truth is the person that's cultivating that container to create that sense of belonging, it takes a lot of energy and effort and intention to create the sense of belonging because we as people naturally have are different from one another. And so it really takes effort. So oftentimes when I see a new a visionary uh, or a change maker wanting to create a beautiful community, they go straight from vision into that create group button or create a meetup button. And they might fill in an about section, but they haven't necessarily spent the energy or the time to be intentional, to hold that intentionality in place. And so I always suggest for every single person that wants to build, to take the vision that they have to create a change maker community in their own way, to truly slow down, to grow fast, to be able to look at, um, what is the culture that I'm designing? So after the three V's, I go into what I call experiential value. And that's really where we're looking at identity. How does, you know, you think about some of the communities that maybe you belong to part as a part of, uh, you know, being belong to, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I was trying to say there. Um, communities that you belong to, that you have an identity. You know, my, we were talking about my partner, Dennis, He's a Buckeye. He went to the Ohio State down the street from you. And, you know, his he has a very intense uh, identity as a Buckeye <laughs> fan. Right. It's right. very intense. <laughs> um, and and but how did how was that created? No, there's very few people in our world that have ever actually taken the time to reverse engineer. How did someone go from being a, a regular, you know, high school kid that loved football to becoming a Buckeye? right? How did one, how does, how does that, that fervent, that fervent identity come and take place? Mm -hmm. So when you look at the groups that are really thriving and taking off, it's because typically, again, the person that's been holding that container has done some intentional work around who are my people? How do I want my people to show up? What does it look like when they show up differently? How can we create what I really want them to experience? right? All of that is the art is what I call the art of community. It's the designing the experience in such a way, not trying to manipulate, but really trying to evoke experience. So similar to creating a live event, we're evoking a certain type of an experience to lead to a specific outcome in the same way when we're creating a a house party or a, uh, a workshop, all of those have intentionality around it. And those are types of communities, right? So when we're thinking about a revolutionary community, we got to, you know, it, it takes it up another level of like, what does it look like to really build this with love and intention as the core of the design? And, and then coming from those places of the, the values that they're bringing into the community, my gosh, it's, it, that's magic right there. You know, mm-hmm. it feels really beautiful to the person then that gets to sit in the Basque of the, of, of the gorgeousness that the community has been, has been built upon. And it seems like, you know, when I, when I look out into the world today and I know there's some data that actually backs this up, you know, we talk about mental health challenges. We talk about the loneliness of like running your own business, the loneliness mm-hmm. of being a change maker and doing this mm-hmm. courageous work, you know, 
in your niche, whatever that might be. But then it seems to me that what you're speaking to is almost like a primal need that we all have for connection, Mm. for support, for, for engagement, for just belonging I guess you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs I guess that's one of the first things we ever have as humans but it feels like it's something I'm going to say that we've forgotten in our modern world and I just wonder what your take is on that yeah we have you're right I'm with you 100% on that we have forgotten we have forgotten. I think we have gotten to a place in our world right now where our reliance on technology to be the um, to be the 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 muscle like the the person that has you know our AI you have all these AI tools now we have all these opportunities we're we're losing our muscle to human, mm. <laughs> right? And that that's what's breaking my heart right now is because we're losing that muscle to human, the pandemic having us separated for so long. Many of us, even the most extroverted of us, I'm going to raise my hand on that one. I love being around people. I love being an extrovert, but I found myself even more so now than ever being like, you know what? I'm maybe I'll just step back a little bit more. I, I don't know, you know, and, and it's interesting how, how that is actually shifting culture, right? We're relying so heavily on our, our comments on social media to put to, to, to share a thought. We're relying so heavily on um, sound bites to get a point across versus actual conversation that changes lives mm-hmm. in small groups in large groups in, in, in hybrid experiences, some virtual, some in person, right. We're forgetting how important that is. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I think many of us have felt the love of being back in person together, right? Even the most introverted of us have said to me, oh my gosh, so nice to be in this room with another human. You know, <laughs> I miss people. <laughs> and so we're, we're remembering, we're remembering, but if we don't at this exact point, start to make a conscious effort as a world to human more, we're going to lose it. We're going to lose it. And that that's a scary thought because we're going to lose the actual essence of us in our beingness. And that's going to feel foreign, like writing with the, the hand that's non-dominant, right? It's going to feel like a, a really uncomfortable thing to human together mm. or to people together. <laughs> yes. And, um, and, it, and that would be a very a huge travesty if that happens. Mm. I agree. And, you know, I'd love to ask you, and in a way, I'm taking you back to that 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 point of insight you talked about earlier, where you were in the middle of the seven generations either way. Mm-hmm. Because I'm kind of curious about what is your work in service of, and what I mean by that is, what is the vision that you hold for a better world, and how does your work kind of play into part of the solution for that yeah uh, I appreciate that question you know I had the at the end of that event there was an opportunity for us to remind ourselves or to to imagine ourselves 90 years old and on a rocking chair looking back at our at our life and imagining 
what are we the most proud of? And you know, what came to me, I, what came to me very clearly first was the number 555, 555, um, the 555 million and that I would have been proud that my body of work, my books, my, my, uh, my consulting, my ability to be an advisor to companies that are ready and willing to shift um, the way in which we, we create customer experiences, the way in which we hold space for our clients um, is shifting, shifting 555 million people around the world through their organizations. That is, that is heartening to me. That, that drives me to where I know I'm meant to go next. Um, I, um, I love knowing that actually the, the vision of being the grandmother of this movement of this cultural shift around the world, um, was, was, is what gets me excited. This is my legacy is that as being the grandmother, being that, that woman who's bringing that wisdom to, to the masses, to those who are influencing so many, so many lives and, and doing that in a way that serves all of us and creates this beautiful culture shift. I love that. I really do. Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> I'm kind of so with you there. Um, mm. So I, I do want to ask, like if, if somebody's listening here and they're thinking, like I, I would like to create a community for myself. I mean, what, is there mm -hmm. any advice you can share? Like, where do they start? How do they find their people? Like, or even their thing, if they're mm -hmm. not clear on, on even yeah. what it is they want to take a stand for. Yeah. Oh, that's such a beautiful question. I would say if they're not clear right now, I would, I would actually take some time again, slow down to grow fast. This isn't something community isn't something to just rush into because mm. there's other you know, heartbeats in the room and we want to, we want to hold others with reverence and respect just we would want for us as well. And if we know that we are change makers and we know we're meant to do something and maybe we have five different passions, I would actually sit with our, with yourself and your heart and, and invite your heart to lead the way to invite your heart, to open you up to the conversation of what, what, what pain in this world matters the most to me and why, you know, and start journaling and inviting those, that question to just, to lead the journey, to lead the next part of the adventure, the next chapter, invite people that you're close to, that you, that you respect and love that know you to be a part of that excavation of how I could be the change maker based on these things that really matter to me. Um, and then if you're at a point where you know your thing, you know, I, this is, this is what I stand for, but how in the heck do I bring the people in? I, the first thing I always believe is to, is to start looking around the table. And what I mean by table is who are your closest people in your life? Um, and who do they know? And who do they know? And who do they know? And what would it look like if we invited ourselves to just share? I am, this is something that I believe so deeply in. Who do you know that can help me create that vision? You know, I actually have a dear colleague of mine that recently led us all into a mini challenge in this past fall around that. Um, and she said, she, so she 
I think she just announced it so I can say this one of her. So she um, supports her husband, Ryan Cronin in his, uh, in, in his art, um, his, his profession as an artist. Her name is Melanie and Melanie um, invited us to consider what she had just done in our, our own body of work. And basically what she did was she had some artwork that she um, uh, wanted to get in front of the Obama uh, foundation and um, his, his artwork that had that featured Obama. And so she started to ask her people around her, do you know anyone that's connected into the Obama foundation? Here's my vision that this piece of art is actually in the foundation is a part of their national collection. And Jane, somebody in her circle knew somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody it was like five de- five degrees of separation <laughs> but because her ask was so beautifully like this is the vision and here's why and this is what we value who do you know that can help us get to that next step mm-hmm. and and that was the that was the outcome and I think more of us and our courage if we lean in and ask we're always always just a few steps away from the right person or the right connection that leads to the next step and to the next step into the next step. So I always say there, start there and then continue to grow and nurture everybody. Again, every single person that we get to experience is a a face of God is an image of God or the divine. And in that we, we choose to respect and revere that person in front of us. So even when it might look like somebody that would have no uh, no connection to where we imagine we can go and tra- create transformation, re- receive them as a gift of reverence and respect because you never know what can show up from treating people with love and respect um, and go from there. Thank you, Marisha. So many insights in what you've just said there. And, and I, I love mm. how really you know the beginning of a community I mean you didn't say this so I might be like projecting words into your mouth but it sounded like you know the first step was kind of get out of your head get into your heart go inside and really kind of listen it wasn't just like strategize and let's build the community which is very often I think what we think about particularly in business Right? Yes. Oh my so gosh. Thank I you for saying that. Yeah. This inside out approach mm. where it's like, let me get in touch with my heart, my soul, and then let's yeah. give that expression in what we're doing here. So that's very aligned with, with the conversations we have here at Sacred Changemakers. And that, that mm. idea of, of seeing the divine in other people, you know, we talk about seeing the soul in others. So mm. there's mm. so much in, what you're discussing <laughs> here and bringing forward that really truly resonates, but I've never heard it expressed in such a a clear and I'm going to say elegant way. So thank mm. you, really. I know I've already got so many in- insights and I know our, li- our listeners will have as well. So thank you. Thank you so much, Jane. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Oh, it is. And so I've got one final question, <laughs> which is, you know, if there's something you, you wanted to share with our listeners today, something you, that mm-hmm. maybe was coming up from your soul that, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it's some words of wisdom. Maybe it's something we didn't get to in our conversation. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just something to leave people with. What might it be? Mm-hmm. So a story popped through for me um, 
and and it has a beautiful lesson i think in this and i and i want to leave this for everyone because this is this is where the revolution starts when i was so i'm 42 years old as of this recording when i was 39 i had uh started having anxiety attacks okay and i so this is the beginning of pandemic my birthday's in june so literally at the beginning of the pandemic, I'm having these little anxiety attacks. And it wasn't because I was starting to homeschool my children or everything was shutting down. I mean, those were there too, but it was because I was about to turn 40 years old. Mm. I had no idea what that would look like. And as I started to do my own inner work around why I'm having this anxiety attack around my age, good Lord, I realized it was because I grew up with this belief that when you turn 40, everything goes downhill from there. You know, I heard this story over <laughs> and over and over again. Ah! And so I was having this moment of like, I don't want it to go downhill from here. I just, I love my life. What the heck? Why are we doing this? And so I was in a conversation with a colleague of mine, my friend, I, I'll never, I always, I love to, to give him credit because it was such a profound moment for me. David Gonzalez in Austin, he, he and I were having this conversation. I was about to turn 40 and he goes, oh, Rusha, what is going on? Why? Why? And I was like, I don't know. And, and when I realized, I was like, that's because everyone says it goes, you go, life goes downhill from here. I started to realize that I have done everything up until 39 years old that I ever wanted to do with my life. I lived, I've traveled, I've I've had the children, I've had the marriage, I've had the company, I've had the, I did all the things, all the boxes were checked and it was lovely. So now what, if everything's going downhill and I'm still alive, what the heck am I going to do with the rest of my life? And he said to me, he goes, Marisha, you know, this is the best news you've, I've ever heard. And I was like, shut up. Why? And he goes, because this means your forties and beyond is your bonus time. Mm. What are you going to do with your bonus time? You've already won the game of life. You did all the things to win the game. This is your bonus time. And I want to leave us all with that because it was that conversation that spar sparked something within me. Oh, this is where I get to just play. Full out, play into the convictions that I have. Play full out into my knowing, play into my courage because the truth of the matter is, this is bonus time. We don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. So let's live today as if it was our last and the bonus time. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is just exquisite. Thank you, Marisha. Mm -hmm. hmm. I want to thank you for uh, coming and stopping by the Sacred Changemakers podcast. It has been such a lovely flow of conversation with you today and I know that you will have inspired so many with your heartfelt message so thank you so much my friend my pleasure so nice to be here okay guys that's all we have time for today thank you so much for listening in before we go I want to remind you that all of the resources and the links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com a big thank you to the members of the Soul Business Academy, who are our podcast sponsors and our extended community, who are helping us make a global impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're looking for a little more soul in your life and business, if you have a sense that you have a calling, 
Maybe you are here to make a bigger impact or simply connect with others on your change-making journey. If our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. Again, you can find out more at sacredchangemakers.com. But for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.